So the sermon is about servants of God. And the key scripture to keep in mind today is Philippians 2, verses 3 to 8. Better get the clicker out. So who is a servant of God? I always like to break down these words because we have in our head what we think something is, but God has a completely different perception on it. So a servant, as far as Google is concerned, is a person who performs duties for others, employed in a house on domestic duties, or as a personal attendant, be it a butler, a maid, or anyone else like that. A person employed in the service of a government, a civil servant. I was once a civil servant. I'm no longer a civil servant. A devoted and helpful follower or supporter, a political servant. Sadly, I don't think there's many political servants at the minute, but we're hoping for better ones in the future. Miriam Webster defines a servant as one that serves others, a public servant or one that performs duties about the person or home of a master or personal employer. So here are some examples of some really high-profile servants. The first one is Alfred, anyone who knows Batman. This is his trusty butler who does all sorts for his master. Then next to him is Jeeves of Jeeves and Worcester fame. Again, he did above and beyond for his master. And then we have Lord Crawley. No, sorry, we have Carson, the VGA bits on him. And then he's uh, master's Lord Crawley. And again, he's called to many duties. What I'd like us to note from these are they were all faithful to their master and they willingly served them and nothing was ever too much for them. They never wanted to leave their service and in some cases they kept their masters out of trouble. What comes through is that they love serving their master. They care and want to do only the best for them. Jesus is the ultimate example of this, who served his father even unto death upon a cross. He did it out of love and respect, and he wanted to do everything he could to please the father. We also see in these examples that a servant will ensure they protect and honour the name of their master in every way. Most people think servants of God are great children of God of the past, be it Moses, Joshua, David, spiritual believers in every generation, that's the church, and angels. Abraham is the first to be identified as a servant of God when God meets with Isaac in Genesis 26, verse 24. God identifies specifically Israelites as his servants in Leviticus 25. But 20, chapter 25, verse 55. And Moses is frequently called one firstly in Joshua, chapter 1, verse 13. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are also called his servants. Jesus is frequently referred as God's servant, but notably the suffering servant. If you look up Isaiah, chapter 42, verses 1, and f- 1 to 4, and chapter 52, verse 13 to 53, 12, you will see that reference. Many others in the Bible refer to themselves or are referred to as servants of God. Paul starts his letters, Peter, James and Jude the same. The apostles also refer to the church as being servants of God or servants of Christ Jesus. However, even wicked people and those in authority serve the Lord according to his purposes. Although they may not acknowledge it, Romans chapter 13 verse 4 says that. 
So one group of people follows and obeys and will live for the will and glory of God. The other does not, but both fall under the full authority of our living God. Nikki Gumbel quotes, everyone is a servant, either voluntarily or involuntarily. We all serve something, be it our family, employer or government. We are either a servant of God, a servant of good, or we are a servant of the devil, a servant of evil. Serving evil leads to emptiness, shame and death. Serving God leads to freedom from shame, sin, fear and death, but we have joy and peace in him. Philippians 2 verses 3 to 8, these are the key scriptures. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this, among, have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. God's servants seek his interests over their own. They understand that their relationship with God is the most important relationship in their life and their life to come. They are called by him to fulfill his purposes and allow their lives to be shaped by Jesus, not themselves. The one true God brings us into one calling through one body to serve him and his children forevermore. Servants of God know and love him by obeying his commandments. We must serve the Lord with all of our hearts, with integrity and complete faithfulness to him. Not allowing the influences of the world to corrupt us in any way from doing this. His servants strive to please their master, not to receive rewards in heaven, but because they acknowledge the great love, grace and mercies he has shown towards us and our loved ones. God will bless our diligence here on this earth, but far greater rewards await us in heaven for those who will serve with grateful, humble hearts and who love and serve only the Lord. His servants will inherit his kingdom. As Pastor David preached last week, God's servants strive to honour him and it will be his good pleasure to share his kingdom with us. So what are the benefits and responsibilities of being his servant? I'd like to use Nehemiah as as an example of this. The story of Nehemiah shows when a servant of God is empowered by him to fulfill a purpose. But through that purpose, they draw other servants to them to do his work. The job is always too big for one person, but God gathers his servants together to fulfill the job. This story happens around 445 to 432 B.C., and reflects the third return of the Jewish exiles to Jerusalem. Just a background on this. The Jewish people had their time, their great time, during this reign of David, King David. And there was nothing that the Israelite nation could not do. He joined all the tribes together, 12 tribes united, kingdom unstoppable. Solomon, his son, took on the kingdom. Temple was built. Solomon, unfortunately, didn't stay fit with the God and allowed women, his wives, to divert him from God. What happened was there was a split in the kingdom, and it became north and south. The northern kingdoms were completely obliterated. Only two tribes of the southern kingdom survived, Judah and one other, I can't remember. 
Benjamin, Judah and Benjamin. Of those two tribes, they were conquered. That's when the Babylonians came in, the Persians came in. So they were completely obliterated. A nation that was once strong, now down to two tribes. So that's the background. We've already talked about um, Daniel. David's talking about that. He's in exile. Nehemiah is another one who's in exile as well. The king, well, sorry, Nehemiah is King Artesiris' cupbearer, a comfortable and wealthy position which tested his food and drink and is found doing his work when he hears news of Jerusalem's broken and shameful state. Now, that must be a nice job being the king's um, chief tester, food tester. Could be dangerous at times because if they're poisoning the food, you're dead. But the majority of the time, if you're, you're enjoying good food. So he's in a very privileged position. Nehemiah chapter 1 from verse 4. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. So we see from these verses, Nehemiah is humbly approaching the Lord. But it says days. Notice that. Mourned for days. I think most of us in this instant generation think we pray once to God and it's going to happen. Unfortunately, God doesn't work that way. He's not a microwave God. He's the God of gods. Amen? Amen. So, he's done it for days. Let your ear be attentive and your ears open, eyes open, to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen. To make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name, and give success to your servant today, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was the cupbearer to the king. Nehemiah instantly becomes burdened and weeps, mourns, prays and fasts for days, petitioning God to hear his prayers, to forgive the people's sins, and ask God to remember his promises to his people. He also asked for God's success to approach the king with his burden. The exiles felt lost, surrounded, broken, and had fallen away from God. Nehemiah recognizes that of himself in verse 6, and I believe he had a burden for Jerusalem before this story begins. God has stirred him up now to a point where he's going to do something about it. For all of us, we need to walk with God when he stirs us to do something, because good will come out of it. Nehemiah appears upset before the king, which in those days was very dangerous, because he could execute anyone who displeased him. It's not like you can go into the king's palace, you know, with the, whatever they're serving the finger on and say, dash that king, I'm going to be doing my own thing you would soon find yourself with either a head missing or you'd be drowned or something. 
So it's a very dangerous thing to be said, even said before the king. But Nehemiah had found favor with him, and he asked why he is sad. Few masters care about the servant's feelings. If you dig deeper into that scripture, it also says the king and queen are there. I think Nehemiah picked that point very well, because sometimes the king can be influenced by his queen. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. So he's picked his time very well. Nehemiah prays and then petitions the king who amazingly sends him away to rebuild Jerusalem with letters of authority, supplies, and soldiers. He gives him a troop of soldiers. This is the servant. It's not another prince, not another king. This is his servant, his cupbearer, and he's given him all this. God's servants find favor and his providence with the people around him. They gain influence and they use it positively for the glory of God. Nehemiah is very practical. And when he gets to Jerusalem, he surveys all the work that needs to be done to rebuild Jerusalem's walls. And walls were very important in these days because they represented security from your enemies, but they also represented strength and peace for the people. God uses Nehemiah to rally his people to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. He's facing opposition both outside and within. But he persevered, led by the Holy Spirit, through prayer, endurance, and sacrifice to speak in God's authority. In chapter 3, with the rebuilding of the wall, it's the priests that take the lead. Now, priests don't normally class themselves as builders. When was the last time you saw a vicar outside with the chivies doing cementing and brickwork? But they, they got their hands dirty. They were getting on with the rebuilding. They started the rebuilding with Nehemiah. They start rebuilding the wall after they hear the words of Nehemiah. And this inspires many others to rebuild as they saw God's hand at work in this. They were willing and dedicated to the task, feeling a part of God's work. We see here that it's only a remnant that's left in Jerusalem with the broken walls. What had to happen was the villages outside had to come and support because there weren't enough men to do the work in Jerusalem at that point in time. So they're literally coming from their villages, leaving their farms to rebuild the wall. What is encouraging is Nehemiah is not afraid to get his hands dirty. He is disciplined, consistent and practical. He doesn't deceive or manipulate to get things done. He already knows what hard work is like being a servant. But he encourages others with his courage and boldness to rebuild what was broken. God empowered him with the wisdom to lead, encourage challenge and fight for God's purposes. Nehemiah also faced opposition from the governors that were around him, that surrounded Jerusalem. There were three governors and they didn't want to see Jerusalem rebuilt because one of them wanted to take over Jerusalem for himself. So he was quite happy for it to be run down. We see that in modern times, don't we? Developers like to run down the area and then buy it cheap. They were doing it back in Bible times. So he's facing that as well. Even his own people are giving him a hard time. Nehemiah 4, verse 15. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half my servants worked on construction, and half held the spears, shield, bows, and coats of mail. Coats of mail are those metal things that you'd wear to protect yourself. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah, who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way 
that each laboured on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall, far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us, one our God will fight for us. So let me stop there. Notice that the trumpet person is right beside Nehemiah. Now you might be thinking, well, that's because when he blows the horn, everyone's going to rally to him. But look at what he says to them. We are spread widely. Yeah? The city isn't like Lighthouse. The city's like Harlow. So he could be the other side of town before they hear that trumpet. So he's taking a risk there, but he's got the trumpet person right next to him, and he's willing to be at the spearhead of any fight that comes their way, because at the end of the day, God has called him to do it. We need to be able to build and fight for the kingdom at the same time. This is really a key point for us. I think some of us think, once we get into the kingdom, that's it. But it is a constant building and fighting at the same time. And as the Bible says, you've got to have one hand on a sword and the other on building the kingdom. We must also remember when we build and serve for God, he's going to fight for us. We need to be ready for anything at any time. This is just the beginning of the challenges for Nehemiah as he fights, rebukes and corrects his own people, drawing them back to God. And he's also on guard against attack from his enemies surrounding the city walls. Through this, he brings reforms, reinstates the priesthood and the temple, and becomes governor. Once the walls are rebuilt, many exiles return, selected by Paul, first the priests, then the heads of tribe, and then other men. He reminds me of the judges of old, leading the fallen nations back to God. Many servants of God are raised up to bring God's people back to him. He was a man of action, generous, fear, who organized, supervised, and encouraged He met opposition, was confronted with injustice, but he kept going till the job was done. The wall was rebuilt in 52 days, showing the power of God at work, and he remained there as governor for 12 years. Now, Nehemiah didn't go into this uh, situation thinking, I'm going to be governor of this place. He went into this situation saying, I don't want to see my, my nation represented like this any longer. I want to rebuild and make us strong like we were before. I want us to be proud to lift up our heads when, instead of people sneering at that, Nehemiah had a heart for the people. And through it, God blessed him. And they needed a strong leader at that time. I think his king's going to be a bit upset because he did release him for a little bit and then he stays there 12 years. So I think by that time he'd given up the, the ghost on that one and got a new cupbearer because he was happy enough to let Nehemiah stay where he was. Servants of God believe and take to heart what God in the Bible says about them. You are truly loved and highly valued as children of God. We must believe and know anything is possible with God. John 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you, my perfect peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be afraid. Let my perfect peace calm you in every circumstance and give you courage and strength for every challenge. God watches over, strengthens, and protects his servants. They find their peace in him alone. His servants encourage one another to remain in the peace of God 
and to reflect his joy and character as they go through their trials of life. I don't know if you can see that at the back, but joy in Jesus can be obtained. Let's see if this works. It spells joy down there. You put Jesus first, you put others second, and you put yourself last. That spells joy. This is life without Jesus. You put yourself first, you put others second, and you live unfulfilled lives. You. Quick way to remember. Proverbs 16, verse 7. When a man's way pleases the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. By serving God, we are not only at peace in him, but his peace transcends to those around us, even to our enemies. We see with David and King Saul, when Saul made peace with David, he found peace himself. Unfortunately, his jealousy of David also robbed him of this. Be careful, church, not to let others rob you of God's peace. There will be people, believe me, that come your way that want to rob you of your peace. It's up to you to protect it. 1 Timothy 6, verses 11 to 12. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Servants of God will be content with what God has blessed them with and won't focus on riches of the world so not to fall into temptation and ensnare themselves in its trappings. They will fight the good fight of faith for the glory of God and exhibit his character to those around him. Going back to Nehemiah. Nehemiah, when he became governor, he would be entitled to a ration. So because he's governor, he's got that um, privileges. He could get extra food, extra wine. What he found out was the previous governor had been cooking the books and been taking lots more stuff than he should have been doing. He was so outraged that he said, I no longer want that. And he sacrificed it and gave it back to the people. That was how serious Nehemiah was. He wanted to show God's character. His servant counts anything not for his glory as lost to them, for they prefer to gain all in Christ. They encounter hostility from the world, and they need to endure for his name to serve serve him. They remain in his presence and honour all they receive from him. All the gifts of the Spirit are for service. I'll stress that again. All the gifts of the Spirit are for service. So if you prophesy, if you worship, if you pray, it's all for service. Not for you, not for you to look good, all for the service of God. They receive God's righteousness by giving up their lives to receive the life of Jesus within them. They learn to die to self and live and reign in the resurrection power of our Lord Jesus, who conquers all and makes all things new in his image and will. Every blessing and promise from God demands a responsibility from us. God expects you to steward what he has given you through his love. Hebrews 10, verse 35 to 36. Do not therefore fling away your fearless confidence, for it has a glorious and great reward. For you have need of patient endurance to bear up under difficult circumstances without compromising, so that when you have carried out the will of God, you may receive and enjoy to the full what is promised. His servants build up endurance in him so they may receive his promises. They keep going despite what they encounter, but they will finish well.
2 Timothy 1 verse 14. Guard with greatest care and keep on change the treasure, that precious truth which has been entrusted to you, that is the good news about salvation, through personal faith in Christ Jesus, through the help of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. They guard what God has deposited within them. Everyone uses a bank here, don't they? Yeah? Now, how would you feel if the bank just flung the doors open and says, here you go, help yourself to your money? Just your money. Your account, this, Val's, Val's account is open to you. Take a deposit out. No. Would you be happy? Would you? No. No. Why do we do the same? Sorry, Owen. Why do we do the same with Christ? We need to guard him. He guarded us. He guards our heart. You've got to guard what he's given you. It comes on to this. The enemy comes to steal and destroy everything God wants to give to you. He tricked Adam and Eve from their rightful authority and he craves to rob you of your blessings. God is greater and nothing happens unless by his will and purposes. 1 Timothy 4 verses 6 to 8 and 11 to 12. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths, rather train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. So that's Paul writing to Timothy, encouraging the young man to hold strong in God. But notice he, he says, don't let the body go. You know, We need to keep the spirit man protected, but don't let the body go. It does take work to have a body like this. You know? it does take work. I don't just get up this, in the morning. And it looks like this. There's a lot of work that goes into this. You have to appreciate that. Anyway. <laughs> Lifestyles and actions, all servants of God should strive from day to day. They allow their words and heart to be tested, allowing God to adapt their actions, attitudes, beliefs, ideas and perceptions from selfish ones <laughs> to selfless ones. His servants are careful to watch what they say, as we will be judged on every word spoken and given account for them. James chapter 3, verses 1 to 12, warns us of how our tongues and what we say can be dangerous. At the end of the sermon, when I give out the notes, there is a, a supplementary bit at the back, and it has a breakdown of James. James is a really good book to look at about how you can be a great servant of God. But when you get the handouts, you can see them at the end. 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 to 2. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Paul is charging his protege, Timothy, with specific responsibilities to preach, teach, correct, and encourage the church he's leading. I believe God charges all of us with these responsibilities to share his gospel, Correct our brothers and sisters when required and continually encourage the body to build it up 
and draw others to the light of God. Isaiah chapter 65 verse 24. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. God always hears and answers those who serve and obey him, no matter how high the stakes or the challenges set before them. They inquire of God to make sure they are doing what he wants in prayer, revelation by his word, or other believers to correctly follow God's will. His servants intercede on behalf of others to strengthen and encourage them, to come through their trials and life in general. They act and react appropriately in all situations, both in public and in private, to honour God. Let me just add to that one about public and private. So I could be your ultimate Christian here on a Sunday morning for two hours. Yeah, let's say two hours. I'm the ultimate Christian. And then the minute I leave that door, that's it. I forget what I've just learned. I could go to work and trample a fast one. I was actually challenged by that. God is always doing that. I was at work and I I started late because I got locked out. Praise God Andy was around to help me to get back into my house. But I got locked out. And it was on the day that I'm launching a brand new system for my employer. So it's not the best day for me to be late. But I'm late. Neither my corporate director or my boss sees me coming in. But I'm at least 45 minutes late. And I'm thinking in my head, well, no one saw me come in. Do I need to make the time up? Should I make the time up, church? Yes. I hope so. I hope you say yes. I'd be very concerned if you said no. Yes, and I did. I made up the time. But the thought was in my head. Now, who would have known? Only me. Is it only me? No. Who, who else is there? God. Amen. So just because no one else sees it, don't think that you're getting away with it. Servants of God take joy in their prayers, both for what God is doing in their lives and for those God has brought around them. His servants know God will supply everything they need to complete his kingdom work. He completes the work in us which he had in mind before the fall of man. Colossians 3, verses 23 to 24. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. His servants do everything to glorify and honour him with their service and work for others. Even when being rebuked by God, his servants understand they are blessed and it shows God's care and love for them. God only does what is good for his children, even correction. Colossians 1 verses 9 to 11. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. God's servants trust in his word and seek to be filled with his wisdom, knowledge and understanding to keep on his path of righteousness. They understand their responsibility to remain steadfast in their faith to follow him. His servants are called to know, apply, share and live out his truth, his word and his teachings. We must willingly give over our will to God so he directs our impulses, passions, desires, hearts and mind. (coughs) A quote from C.S. Lewis. There are two kinds of people, those who say to God, thy will be done, 
and those to whom God says, all right then, have it your way. Yeah? You don't want to be the one that God says that to you. This, I believe, is a servant of God's journey. So before you meet Jesus, it's my will, my way, which is bad for you. The middle ground is you receive Jesus and you say, his will, but I want to do it my way. It's good for you. Serving and following Jesus is his will, his way, and that's the best way. James 4, verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. That's us, church. We know the right thing to do. If we don't do it, there is no gray area. It is sin. As his servants, we know the right thing to do and no disobedience is sin. And we realize when God gives us that understanding, we are given that responsibility to use it wisely. Not to keep it to ourselves, but to share it so others may benefit from it. His servants have patience and humility to wait on God's leading. Like Moses or Joshua, they did not go into a situation if God was not with them. We want to make sure we are on track with God's plan and timing, not our own, to ensure we get it right and do it for the glory of God. His servants strive and desire the patience of God. They will need it for the trials that God will assuredly take them through to strengthen their faith and build even more patience and confidence in the will of God. I praise God that the Lord has blessed my wife with a lot of patience. (laughs) Faith requires patience. Every servant of God would have waited in faith for an answer at some point in their walk with him. Our waiting strengthens our faith. Abraham waited for a son. Joseph waited many years in imprisonment to be reunited to his family. Moses waited 40 years before God used him to deliver a nation. King David ran for many years in fear of his life before taking on the authority God had promised him. Jesus waited thousands of years before he would make the perfect way for our salvation through his death on a cross. When we wait on God, we wait in good company for his will to be fulfilled. So that's what I was saying earlier. God is not a microwave God. He's not an instant God. He does things instantly. But if Jesus had to wait a thousand years and you have to wait a couple of days maybe, a week, really? Put it into perspective. Hebrews 10 verses 24 to 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. His servants won't sacrifice, forsake, or substitute fellowship with God or with the saints for anything in this world. It's a priority for them, and they understand how essential it is. They'll be part of his community. They look for what they can give, not get, and where they can serve, not be served. Mark 10, verses 43 to 45. But it shall not be so among you, But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. A quote from Sean Covey. We become what we repeatedly do. So if you constantly are serving, you become a servant. Yeah? It becomes second nature. 
God wants his servant to be a good steward of his blessings. They become priests and a living temple for the presence of the Most High God where he is pleased to dwell. The Bible contrasts faithful servants to unfaithful servants. Even Jesus says a parable about it. It goes well for faithful servants, but you definitely don't want to be the unfaithful servant of God. Ask him how to be a servant and allow him to lead you in this. His servants will understand the plan and works of the enemy and want to work against them for the glory of God. That's one of the milestones, I guess, for the journey of a Christian. Every time we see something go wrong, we think it's a problem. But maybe it's an opportunity. Maybe it's just something that God wants to do to make you different. Yeah? yeah. So, we uh, have car trouble? You have car trouble. I was locked out of my house Friday morning. <laughs> now, I could have been cursing. I was up in the middle. It was early morning. Sorry, I'm just going to. It was early morning. I was taking my son to work. He was in <laughs> Epping. He had to go to Epping. And I, he comes out of the house. And I said, well, did you lock the door? He said, no. I said, but the key's in the door. I'm thinking, my days. I'm locked out. So I can take him to work, which is fine. He gets to work. But I'm not getting in his house unless I go dress as I was and I couldn't really go into it as I would dress. But I could have kicked off. I could have come back to the car, slammed the door, start shouting. Who does that help? It helps the enemy, though. And I will not allow him to do that. And I was showing an example to my son that if something goes wrong, don't kick off. I'm wanting to glorify God in that. So see it as an opportunity. You can swing that around if you let God use you to do it. <coughs> Nahum chapter 1 verse 7. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. His servants know he is good in every way and find rest and refuge in him alone. 1 Peter 2 verses 4 to 5. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourself, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. His servants are like living stones built on his foundational cornerstone into a royal priesthood. Every believer is in a lifetime service for God 24-7. There is no retirement age. Don't think when you get to your 60s, God will say, here, there, there, you can sit there, there. There ain't no retirement age. Keep asking God what he wants you to do to serve him. Again, I come back to Moses. Moses was 80 when he did the Exodus. You know? If we're blessed to 80, it'd be nice to see it. But he's 80, and he lived at least another 40 years. 120 when he finished. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Quote from Collins' Bible companion. Christian service is a work of love. It is hard work and it's more effective when it stems from our love for Jesus and his people. Servants of God give their all for him and they are loyal and obedient only to him. They show compassion to the people they are serving. They always serve from the heart, not for honour, but out of love for those they serve. I serve my wife because it pleases me to serve her not because I'm obligated to serve her. You heard that, yeah? 
if we seek gratitude for our service, I feel we've missed it. That's not what Jesus wants to portray to those around us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 5. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. His servants are the children of light, and they know and keep away from the darkness. The world is going to bring it to us if we allow it. Third point, what are the challenges of being a servant of God? God raises up servants first and then makes them soldiers. We may become warriors for him, but first we have to humbly be his servant. We are called to serve and fight for those we care for. We can fight for our loved ones when we serve and love the one true God who empowered us to do all things for his glory. Jesus washed the disciples' feet. God Almighty, with all authority and all power, who should have been honoured, humbled himself to serve the ones he loved and would fight for. His servants must seek to increase his kingdom influence and presence in this world. Jesus is the greatest example of a servant of God. He obeyed the Father's will in every way and fulfilled every requirement of his law. We are also commissioned to obey God's will, follow his commands, love, honour and obey, and show the world how good our God is. Paul stresses in his teachings that everyone has a part to play in the body of Christ. We have equal value to him, but different roles and responsibilities. His servants refocus on God every day. They check where their hearts and their minds are, and how close they remain to his will and purposes. His servants understand and prepare themselves to face trials and make sacrifices for his name. Paul showed his life of sacrifice and persecution for the gospel reflected parables to what Jesus endured for us. Jesus was the suffering saviour, making the ultimate sacrifice for us. Paul and the disciples suffered ridicule, rejection and persecution, but not one of them denied the Christ, even unto their very own lives. They sacrificed their well-being and their lives to reveal Christ to their family, friends and the world. How much are we willing to sacrifice or suffer for the name of Jesus and his kingdom? 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1 Therefore, since we have these great and wonderful promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, completing holiness, living a consecrated life, a life set apart for God's purpose in the fear of God. His servants ensure they cleanse their thoughts and lives from anything that would separate or displease God and allow his holiness to complete their sanctification. 1 Peter 1 verses 14 to 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So his servants need to be holy in all their ways and represent Christ in all they have. Ecclesiastes 12.13 When all has been heard, the end of the matter is, fear God, worship him with all filled reverence, knowing that he is almighty God, and keep his commandments, for this applies to every person. Now Ecclesiastes is in the Old Testament. It's not New Testament gospel. So they're telling, God is speaking to the people, even from the Old Testament, what we're living in now. This is true for all servants of God. Fear God, show reverence, 
keep his commandments. That's all we're made to do. And we mustn't run away from our responsibilities in him. We see examples of this in Jacob and Moses, Elijah, Jonah, even Peter, the disciple. We need to be more like Jesus who stood firm in God, never diverting from the plan of his heavenly father and enduring even unto an extremely gruesome death to fulfill the will of God. Colossians 3 verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience. These are great attributes a servant of God should show if we want to please God and allow his grace to be seen in this world. Because every servant of God will be tested by him. He's going to ensure we're ready to receive what he gives us more of. God will not honour us with more until he knows we're able to take the weight and the additional blessings and responsibility. Because God does not take giving you anything lightly. His servants know they are sojourners or exiles in this current world, awaiting the coming of their king and master, Jesus. This is testified in many Old and New Testament scriptures because we are, our hope is the returning king. We are required by God to challenge other servants to ensure the righteousness and holiness of God is maintained. We need to do that because if the church represents something and we're not holding up to it, then we've got to challenge it. As a servant of God, we need to follow these two principles. We need to follow Jesus wherever he tells us to go, and we need to do as he says. God did the same with Moses, and it's the same principle for us even today. Follow him, listen, and obey his commandments. We are servants of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the almighty living eternal God. So to finish, I'd like to touch on these key points about being a servant. Understand that you're called by God to serve him and his children. And give your all to live for him. Have a heart to serve him willingly and faithfully for his glory. Seek his will in all your dealings, in life through prayer. And seek and work in and through his strength in all situations. Seek his courage for things beyond yourself. And grow in faith for his will and purposes to please him. And learn more about God throughout your life with him. So many of you might be thinking now, I'm never going to be like Nehemiah. That's not the point here. He was called for a unique purpose. God hasn't called you for that purpose. What were challenges that we need to find out what God wants us to do? Yeah? So that you become the Nehemiah in your life, representing God, doing things that are beyond you, but God can do through you if you trust him. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you that as servants of God, we have great privileges, but we have great responsibilities. And Father, help us to bear the weight of both. Your blessings flow ever daily to us. When we get up in the morning, when we go to bed at night, your blessings are always over us. But Lord, we pray that we have shoulders to carry the responsibility of being a servant of God. Call to pray for others, call to stand in the gap for those who can't pray for themselves, to live a life that glorifies the name of Jesus, that gives and shows love and compassion and mercy. So Lord, you know all that we need before us now. 
I pray that your servants call to you now, as Nehemiah did, and whatever burden they have, may you have an answer. May not be today, but whenever the time is right, to their solution, to their problem, to their issue. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So we're going to go straight.